Our speaker today is John Allen, whom you probably know. You might know him as the vice president of the board. You might know him as my husband. You might know him as that guy who likes to talk and vape out back. You may know that he teaches middle school, that he's incredibly proud of his kids, or that he thinks the coffee is a little too weak today. If you've ever mentioned airplanes or North Dakota near him, you probably also know that he's a veteran. This lived experience, along with his study of history and general love of talking, is why he was asked to create this service today. With his thoughts on military service, Unitarian Universalism, and the uneasy connections between them, John Allen. Good morning. <sighs> Never quite know what I'm going to say until I get up here. <clears throat> Today's service is uh, about Memorial Day. This can be a, uh, an interesting topic to approach from a Unitarian Universalist perspective. Um, tomorrow, uh, we observe those who died in the line of duty. It's important to remember that. Uh, veterans will be, don't thank me for my service tomorrow. Tomorrow has nothing to do with me. Um, but again, from a UU perspective, this can be hard to find. Where do we stand on this? This is highlighted by the fact that if you're preparing a service on this topic, uh, you can pretty much basically find one article from 2003, and that article is specifically about trying to reconcile being a veteran and military service with Unitarian Universalism. Um, you know, Neil Scheister specifically focuses on the conflicted feelings many use have about war and peace and how do we support those serving when we very rarely support the wars that those men and women are fighting in. We as a denomination have a very strong bent towards pacifism. Reconciling those convictions with the violence inherent in military service is challenging. Often the, we do this by glossing over a little bit. The military is about violence. There's really no avoiding it. When I joined uh, the Air Force in 2000, I reported to officer training school. First day of officer training school, you do your process, you get there. First thing they do, they all march us in this large auditorium, bigger than this, 236 of us. Without preamble, the lights go down, and they showed us the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Um, for those of you unfamiliar, it is considered the most accurate portrayal of warfare ever put to film. So accurate, in fact, that the VA issued warnings to its members because many of them were being thrown into flashbacks. Lights came up, and one of our flight training officers stepped out on stage and said, as his first statement, if you have any problem with what you just saw, you need to find another line of work. He then asked us, what is the mission of the Air Force? And we dutifully recited, as we had to memorize before we showed up, to defend the interests of the United States through command and control of air and space. And he said, wrong. We kill people and we break things. That is what we do. And there is no removing that. So having put that forth, that's a pretty stark introduction into what we call the profession of arms. So how does someone voluntarily choose that line of work and still walk in this sanctuary? Well, we talk of peace, joy, the interdependent web of all things. 
Well, first of all, very few people who choose that line of work do walk in our doors. The most recent uh, stats I could find were again from 2003, and at that point, 550 UUs were on active duty. That's out of over one million people. Now keep in mind, this is within a context that we live in a society where only approximately 11 or 12% of the people at any given time have ever served in the military. So we have a strong disconnect between who, the reality of who we are as a nation versus military service for that nation. Um, this wasn't always the case. Again, World War II coming out of it, pretty much every male, able-bodied male had served in World War II in some capacity or another. Um, but this hasn't always been the case for Unitarian Universalists either. Uh, the uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic that was played during the candle lighting, that was written by a Unitarian during the Civil War, specifically in support. Uh, the woman who wrote it, it was a Unitarian minister who told her she should write it down. It became the Union's anthem for the Civil War, which was strongly supported by Unitarians and Universalists. Uh, world, uh, Taft, who was also a Unitarian, presided over the uh, Unitarian Assembly that voted in favor of support of World War I, with only nine opposed. Many ministers who opposed World War I lost their congregations. Um, we do not have a strong history going back of being a particularly militant or pacifist denomination. It's modern history in which that changes. And that changed around the Vietnam War, uh, which is a very different type of conflict. Mainly, I believe, because of the involuntary nature of the vast majority of the people who fought in it. It is not in any way in keeping with our principles to be forced to fight for something you do not believe in. Um, <clears throat> but again, Vietnam is where we became a denomination associated with opposition to war. Uh, it resulted in a great deal of disevil in our denomination. Uh, many clergy were spearheading the movement. They were ahead of the congregations. There were strong movements towards providing Unitarian Universalist congregations as safe havens for those who were avoiding the draft. The congregants did not always agree with this. There was a shedding of membership over this issue. Uh, but after they left, these policies in our congregation drifted ever more towards pass, uh, association with pacifism and opposing war. Now this makes sense when considering our traditions and of inclusiveness especially. How do you honor the interdependent web of all existence while also training to kill people and break things? Now, personally, and again, this can only this is entirely about my personal reconciliation with these ideas. The answer comes in several of our other traditions. We do believe in peace. We also have strong calling towards justice, equity, and the right of the democratic process. Those lights burn just as bright in the UU tradition as our call to peace. And it is the nature of the world we live in that sometimes those callings are contradictory. Uh, 
It is often believed that uh, Sherman said that war is hell. Uh, there's actually no documentation of him saying that. What he did say, however, is war is cruelty and you cannot refine it. But what war was he fighting in? And what was the cause of that war? It was a civil war. I don't think anyone here would disagree with the fact that the Civil War, the Union winning the Civil War was a good thing. But it was a war. And Sherman was not a gentleman. Not in the slightest. He was considered relatively ruthless by those under his occupation. In fact, his response, his statement, war is cruelty and you cannot refine it, was in response to the people of Atlanta under his occupation complaining about what he was doing. So, looking at that, that violence, and I know I keep coming back to it, but to me it's the crux of it. It's the part of the military that doesn't fit with Unitarian Universalism. How do, we, how do I fit back in there? Um, and again, it comes back to justice, equity, and democratic process. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not believe every American military action has been in any way associated with those ideals of justice, equity, and the democratic process. I've even ventured far enough to say the majority of wars fought by this and most countries have not even been associated with those. Uh, my personal reading of history leads me to believe that the vast majority of wars are over resources, pure and simple. By the very nature of our nation's position of power post-World War II, many of our more recent conflicts have been about protecting our interests, not about protecting our nation. But I feel that we've lost ourselves in recent history and concluded that because many of our recent wars have not been just, that war itself is not just and cannot be. As a counterargument to that perspective, I'm going to discuss the war in Afghanistan. Separated by 17 years, um, we tend to lump this together with Iraqi freedom into an overarching concept of war on terror. We also tend to call war that which has not been war for quite some time. Um, we claim we've been at war for longer than we've ever been. We were at war for a very short period of time, and we've been dealing with an occupation. We don't like the term occupation, but that's what it is. We've been dealing with that occupation and insurgency. Uh, we just don't like the PR of that, so we don't call it that. Um, but again, they get lumped together, and they were not the same thing. Um, the invasion of Afghanistan was an independent action that came before Iraqi freedom and had nothing to do with it. And we need to look at what were the precipitating events for that. We all know what that was in September 11th. Um, we were struck, we struck there in response to a blatant attack on the population of the United States. Men, and they were exclusively men, with no respect for our principles that we hold dear, killed innocent people who were in no way engaged in hostile, act, hostile actions against them. We can debate the history of United States policy and the Cold War and lack of just action in that area of the world, but these do not diminish the violence of what those men did nor the innocence of the lives lost because of their actions. And most importantly, they made it clear that they would engage in such actions again if given the chance. The United States knew who had done it. We knew where they were. We issued a demand backed by the international community 
that those responsible be handed over to face justice. Those in power in Afghanistan at the time refused. Given that context, I would argue that military force was not only justified, but necessary. That if we truly believe in our principles, that we should compel to take action beyond the equivalent of sending thoughts and prayers against those who would do violence against the innocent and the powerless. That sometimes there is no other reasonable option. That sometimes violence is the only way. We can discuss just wars, we can use the same euphemisms I've used in this, such as military action or retaliatory strike, but these are sterile smoke screens. Sometimes those who wish to harm the innocent will not respond to an outreach of love or a call for inclusion. Sometimes you have to go to their address and physically destroy their capabilities to harm others, even when that capability <coughs> is they themselves. And while I do believe that the arc of history bends towards justice, I also believe occasionally you need to give it a swift kick in the right direction. Now, throughout much of modern history, these very ideas, and I feel very strongly about this, because again, I did serve, and I never had to be in combat. That was not what I had to do. Um, everyone who signs up signs a blank check. Some get cash, some don't. I was just lucky. But I know people who died. 11 people died when I was in training. The military is a different thing. But throughout much of modern history, these very ideals have been manipulated and distorted by those who wish to bend those noble impulses to less noble ends. We, they have mouthed the words justice and freedom to lead young men to battlefields and fights that served only old men in power. But such distortions do not invalidate these ideas. I, for one, refuse to surrender to those who will misuse them. When we surrender our willingness to fight for what's just, literally fight if necessary, then we leave the arc of history to those willing to kick it in the opposite direction. In closing, I'm gonna circle back to William Tecumseh Sherman, I discussed before. He was a man who simultaneously hated war and was relentlessly ruthless in the execution of it. But his ruthlessness helped break Southern resistance and brought about the end of slavery in the United States. Left with an intransigent adversary, he did not look for dialogue or discussion. He fought, and he fought ruthlessly. Had he not, what would America look like? What would the very state we're standing in look like? Atlanta would look a lot different, that's for sure. Can we truly praise the ends while rejecting the means? And this was considered very strongly a Unitarian Universalist crusade. And if we wholesale reject such means, can we realistically expect to achieve our ends? So tomorrow is your setting of your barbecue. No judgment, I'm having one myself. I'd ask you to consider those who have fallen in that light. Individual wars can be debated as to their justness, and there have been innumerable wars fought throughout history that did not serve our principles in the slightest. But that's on us as citizens and the leaders that we put forth. The ideas we hold most dear at times require the sacrifice 
that these women and men gave selflessly. They are not engaged in actions contrary to what we stand for. Many throughout history died for what we stand for. And their willingness to do so is the very heart of what we as Unitarian Universalists stand for. Selflessness, courage, thinking of others, opposing those forces. And there are active forces that seek to destroy. And I know I sound like a lot of people who disagree with us. But I'm not willing to surrender the truth of this to them. Just because someone else uses truth for propaganda doesn't mean I'm going to give it up. And let's not surrender it to those kicking on the other side in history. Thank you.